get food for yourself or your family. One can only imagine trying to get a clean source of drinking water back then in the hot climate of the Middle East. Powerful sandstorms could just blow up at any moment. Uh, Bible commentator William Barclay puts it like this. This is how life would have been and probably at times still is over there. Quote, when a sandstorm blew in, there was nothing that one could do but just wrap his head in their hooded cloak and turn his back to the wind. While the swirling sand filled his nostrils and throat until he felt like he was going to suffocate. At best, he became parched with an overpowering thirst. I've never experienced anything like that. Access to clean, fresh drinking water was very hard to find. Water was often polluted during that time. You see, there were no water and sanitation, sanitary departments back then for them to get water from. Thus, the reason why it was important for the various forms of wine that they created. Okay? Um, so that's one of the reasons why wine was so popular back in those days. It's because the water was so bad. Now, some of you might be thinking, uh, if you remember when the Apostle Paul said, a little wine for the stomach. Remember that passage that he uses? That was not so much a promotion for the use of wine, but it was more or less a warning against the water. Because when you had an ailment in your stomach, if you drank the water, it was so bad it could make it worse. So that really was, is what, behind, what was behind the Apostle Paul's words in that scripture, but I digress. That was for a different time. So back in those days, there was no local McDonald's for them to go around and get a cheeseburger on the menu, or there was no Starbucks to... Around the corner, you can get your s'mores frap or whatever, you know, your venti or tall or whatever. Actually, up until recently, there was no Starbucks for us around the corner either, wasn't there? Yeah, now we're all excited about that down there. <laughs> How many of you are Starbucks people? It's okay, you can admit. There's more of you than that than here. Okay, all right. <laughs> So those words on the hillside that day, the people knew a little bit about the threat of hunger and thirst. And Jesus' words probably would have made an impact. So the question today is, what was Jesus really trying to say when he said these words? (laughs) Yesterday morning, Stephanie and I, um, we were out, put the garage door up, and we were having devotions there on our front garage area, and we were studying this some more, and as I said, the more I studied this, I thought, oh, Lord, man, we fall so short of this. In essence, Rich, go ahead, in essence, what Jesus was saying was this, if you hunger and if you thirst for righteousness, if you are desperate to please your Lord and Savior, if you will do whatever it takes to please your King, you will be filled and you will be blessed. See, it begins to take on a different connotation when you put it in those words. And when you begin to hunger and thirst for God, you know, you don't want just a little bit. You want all that you can get. You want all of who God is, right? Yeah, you should. 
Um, Pizza Hut made uh, famous those personal pan pizzas just so you can have them to yourself. Look, I, I want the whole thing myself. I'm not giving any of it to you. Matter of fact, I don't know if some of you do the same thing, but I, when it comes to pizza, I start with the smallest size. You know what? So, so I have something to look forward to. Anybody else do that? They start with the smallest size. You know what I'm talking about. No, no. The smallest size, so as you eat, the more you have to look forward to. I like the bigger pieces to look forward to. Uh, um, Walnut Creek cheese, I think, has the best milkshakes around. Just excellent milkshakes. But if I have one, you ain't getting any because I want the whole thing myself. Was that mean? Sorry. (laughs) You still ain't getting it. Just honesty. You're right, Sean. Another way you could put this beatitude, like those who starve for food, blessed are you if you starve for God's righteousness. Like those who are dying of thirst, blessed are you if you thirst after God with all of your heart, for then you will be truly satisfied. We're surrounded every day with people who have unrest in their souls who know there's just something missing, who are searching for something that will satisfy, but they're looking in all the wrong places. We're in a world where people are looking for entertainment, looking at recreational activities, people that are looking for something that will satisfy in relationships, Some are even looking to unethical or immoral relationships to fill that hunger, to fill that void in their life. Some are turning to drugs and alcohol. Some even try church and religion. Did you hear that? Some even try church or religion just as long as it doesn't interfere with the other things in their life. Jesus said in Luke 6.25, Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. If you look at verse 24, he says, Woe to you who are rich. What is he saying with this? He's saying, if you try to fill your life with the things of the world, if you try to fill your life with entertainment or pleasure or everything but God, you're still going to get hungry. You're still going to have those stomach pains inside of you. The natural man, Paul talks about this, 1 Corinthians 4, excuse me, 2.14, says, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. In our context today, I believe this passage here is telling us that those who hunger and thirst for everything but God are not even capable to comprehend the things of God. Let me read that again. Those who hunger and thirst for everything but God are not even capable of the things of God. Just like our physical stomachs, it will only be a matter of time until one's spiritual stomachs will growl once again. 
So they'll change their search, looking for the newest thing to satisfy. But remember what we're talking about here this morning, folks. We're talking about kingdom living. We're talking about what it takes for you and I, for those of us who have been saved, accepted Christ, those of us who are subjects of the king, what is it going to take to live in the kingdom? And I've got to be honest, as far as I want more and more and more of God, you know, there are times in a service to where, I'll just say it, you really feel the spirit just kind of kicked in right there. Been through it my entire life, all the services, all the worship, things that I've led. There are times whenever you can tell. For me, this is when Mandy kind of got real personal with the Lord there. That's when the switch to me happened. And people, you just, you just responded to the Spirit of God. And when that began to happen, you know what I was saying? God, I want more of this. I want more. I want more. I want more. I would have been fine if I didn't have to preach. You would have been fine if I wouldn't have had to preach. We need to have times like that to where the Spirit of God just takes over and you don't need to hear from me. We need to hear from God. What do you hunger for? What are you thirsty for in your life? Are you hungry and thirsty for more of God? Or, to put it as Jesus said in his word here, are you hungry and are you thirsty for righteousness? What is that? What is righteousness? Some of you may have a little comment in your Bible, but righteousness is upright living before God. That's all it is. That's how it defines righteousness, upright living before God. Practically speaking, what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? I just got done saying that that. Many people, maybe some of you here this morning, you're trying to find your, your fill. You're trying to get uh, quenched by doing life your own way. When Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. See, that's where we get things messed up. We fail to seek his kingdom his righteousness, we're seeking our own righteousness. Everyone in here, you have, a, you have something in your mind, in your heart, that you think is right. We all have our own form of righteousness. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for his righteousness, for they will be filled. So what are some things that, that, that means a righteous life? How can we live and hunger and thirst for things that are righteous? Well, to be honest with you, I believe it starts going back to the basics. Reading your word. Are you hungry to get into God's word? Are you hungry to be in sweet communion and prayer with the Lord? There's a statistic that says, out of all of those who go to church today, only 13% of people read their Bible on a daily basis. 13%. Hunger and thirst. There's not much hungering and thirsting going on with 13%. Tithing. Keeping oneself unspotted from the world. Notice that I did not say keeping oneself out of the world. I just said keeping oneself unspotted from the world. We have to be in the world, but we do not need to be of the world. 
It could also mean coming to church as often as you can because you cannot get enough of God. I got one amen on that, unless that was you. you yeah, thank you, Dean. It means that you want all of God that you can get. It means that you want as much study as you can. It means that you want as much fellowship with your brothers and sisters as you can get. That's hungering and thirsting after God's righteousness. Using your time and your talents for the Lord here in the church and outside of the church. And as I referred to earlier, it's about longing and desiring for those times of sweet communion with Jesus. What else does it mean? As Jesus spoke on the mountain that day, if we were to keep reading, righteous living, you know what righteous living also means? Not only is it wrong to murder, but Jesus said if you have hate in your heart for someone, Not is it wrong to commit adultery, but Jesus said, if you even look at someone with lust in your heart. He rewrote the the rules for divorce. Righteous living is when someone slaps you on the cheek. We talked about blessed are those who are meek. Righteous living is doing good to those who hurt you, praying for those who hate you and despise you and persecute you. See, when you think about it, this righteous living messes with us. Why has it got to mess with us? Life was going just fine on my own. Not, Not only does Jesus require us to live under his kingdom rules, he just said, blessed are you if you hunger for it. And if you thirst for it, I'm preaching to me right now. You just so happen to be in front of me right now. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. You see, folks, it's how we live every day of our lives. And we need to be hungry. We need to be thirsty. We need to be passionate about our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to be passionate about living and pleasing our Lord 1 Corinthians chapter 2 just told us that these things, what I just talked about to you, those things are foolishness to the things of the world, to the people of the world. They're foolishness. Don't have time for that. But it's it's what the righteous hunger and thirst for. Oh, how we spend our time on frivolous things. Ouch. Going from one thing to another never finding anything that truly satisfies. This describes a woman who was a Samaritan. And one day she went to the well to draw some water, and there was a man there who had, she had no idea was just going to radically change her life. story goes in John chapter 4 that Jesus and his disciples had to go to Galilee, but they had to go through Samaria. And again, if you're not really sure of the history of all that, Samaritans and Jews, they hated each other. 
I believe they still hate each other today. It's just like, mm, you don't know. Uh, they just as soon spit in your face than talk to one another. And so um, here is Jesus knowingly going into a town of Samaria called Sychar. And, and it says that he was very weary, he was very tired, and he ended up at Jacob's well. Wanting to draw some water so he could drink, he had sent the disciples into town so they could buy some food. And here is Jesus. He knew what he was doing. He knew, he knew that he had a divine appointment with the Samaritan woman. And so she came up to the well, and we were talking about this. Somehow, some way, they must have known who they were. Uh, he, he knew that she was a Samaritan, and she knew that Jesus was a Jew, maybe because of how they dressed, I don't know. But Jesus looked at her and said, give me a drink. And she was shocked. Because she said, why are you asking me? Because you're a Jew, and Jews have no association with Samaritans. And you don't have anything to draw with. And That sets up the story. And Rich, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Next, Rich. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus then proceeded to tell her all about her life. He began to tell her, Look, you've been searching for something to satisfy There's only one thing that's going to satisfy, and that's living water. She ended up saying, we know that the Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will set all things straight. And Jesus said, he who speaks to you is he. (laughs) You see, the living water was Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can satisfy. Dead to every worldly pleasure, dead to, to sin indeed am I, but alive to Christ my Savior, daily to Him I'm drawing nigh, so let me see Jesus only. Jesus only. Let me see Jesus only, for only He can satisfy. I have to believe that woman's heart that day was strangely warmed. She was greatly impacted because she knew there was something about this man. Listen, church, because we live in North America, we have to be extremely careful with this. We have to work doubly hard, three times, four times as hard at this beatitude. Why is it? Because we can fill our hunger. We can become quenched with so many things other than God. Again, 
you just so happen to be sitting in front of me right now. As Brock is preaching to Brock, as God is preaching to Brock, So many things to occupy our time and attention. So many things to entertain us. (laughs) You go to a Starbucks, and people who are there by themselves are doing what? They're doing this, and they're doing what? You go to Starbucks, and the people that are there with people are doing this, and they're doing this. Everywhere that we go, (laughs) I do it too. (laughs) Notice that sometime when when you're at a public setting, just look around and just see. So much to entertain us. There are times whenever I've said to Stephanie, I just want to go back to an old flip phone. Just want an old flip phone. Yeah, that just get throw the phones away. Uh, but just give me an old flip phone. But you know what I then I think? But then I'll miss some of my apps that I really have a lot of fun with. <laughs> Look, God doesn't care if you have a smartphone. He just doesn't want you to be in it when you should be into him. God doesn't care that you have a 55-inch HD 1080p TV. Just don't have it on when you should be watching him. Oh, and do I get on the topic of sports? (laughs) Sports, professional sports, college sports. Sports with our kids. And what is our society teaching kids? It's teaching kids that God and church can be second place. I shouldn't have said that. I know I shouldn't have said that. And I played sports when I was a kid. My mom and dad had to make a very difficult decision with me because at that time, 18 years ago, whenever I was a kid, They were just starting to practice and play on Wednesdays and Sundays. And mom and dad had to make a choice with me. And and it's got to be an individual choice. But here's, you know, we were in church so much and we were ministering in churches so much. And and I wasn't missing Sundays and it wasn't to that point yet. So I was able to be involved and still be in church and be taught and grounded and all that. But today it's totally different. What are we teaching our kids? Hmm. I hope you still love me. What would happen, church, if we became so hungry and so thirsty for this for God's righteousness, what would happen if the people on both sides of the aisle in Washington would be more concerned about doing God's will than being reelected? I said both sides of the aisle. There's corruption everywhere in Washington. 
I'm getting close to being done. God help me. God help me to hunger and thirst for God. I may have shared this before. I'm going to share it again. And I know I might get myself in trouble when I share this, and, and I'm, not, I'm not pronouncing. I'm just sharing you because this has made an impact on my life. My grandfather, you heard me say before, semi-professional baseball players, big time in the bars and all that, God gloriously saved him. And the rest of his life, we remember him being hungry and thirsty for God. And one particular time, I think my dad was a kid, I don't know, but it was Sunday afternoon, it was like around 5 o'clock, and uh, dad had had some relatives show up on the front porch just unexpectedly, and they wanted to visit. And dad had said, you all stay here, I'm going to church, I'll be back later. He was hungry. He was thirsty for more of God. Now, for though there's nothing wrong with visiting with family, that's not, that's not my point. My, my point is, I saw Dad's life hungry and thirsty and passionate and desperate for more of God. Rich, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Isaiah 55, 1. Rich, ho, everyone who thirst, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Next verse, Rich. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. One more, Rich. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Hmm. I end with this story. Whenever I was a kid, uh, I accepted Christ whenever I was five in a Church of God congregation in Bloomingdale, Ohio. Some of you know where Bloomingdale, Ohio is. Uh, But through a series of events, my parents um, took us kids to a good old, after that they took us to a good old-fashioned holiness Methodist church. There's there's some bad stuff happening in the Methodist movement today, but back then it was was strong. um, Reverend, we called him Reverend. Reverend Scott George was, was, I'll say pastor, I'm used to pastor, but he was the pastor back then. But um, He tells this story. He was drafted uh, towards the end of World War II. And he said when he was in basic training, um, they were pretty rough on the new recruits. He said back then they were able to do things to recruits that you just can't do today uh, with all the rules and regulations and laws of what they can do in the military. But he said back then that, you know, he said they were trying to prepare these young men for what they were getting ready to face over in Europe. So he said they were pretty rough on new recruits and in basic training. And 
He said um, one particular day they went on an unusually long hike, run, jog, hike, and they had their full gear on, their full pack on. Those of you in the military, you know the glorious reality of that. And it was a hot day, and when they finally got back to camp, Pastor Scott said they were just exhausted. They were done. Uh, He said we were so thirsty. We desperately just wanted to get these packs off and get into our barracks and get cleaned up and go get something to eat. He said, but what they would often sometimes do is they would, they would uh, bring them, uh, the recruits back, and when they were done, they would just have them then to stand at attention for the longest time, right before they would let them in, right before they kind of gave them relief. And they would give them orders, and they're dying inside. Well, he said this one particular time, there were these GIs, uh, where they were, they got back from their, their uh, hike, and they were standing like right in front of the commissary or right in front of the place where you could get food. And he said, out of the door came a couple of these GIs. And he said, these GIs knew what they were doing. He said, just inside of that building, the commissary area, they had those big uh, metal tubs filled with ice and those eight-ounce bottles of Coca-Cola. And you can imagine how cold. They're just sitting in that ice. And these GIs walked out, and they each had about two or three of these bottles of Coke uh, with them. And they stood right in front of the guys who had just got back from the hike. And they just, one by one, just opened up the Coke and just drank them right in front of those guys. Knowing what they were doing. Knowing that they were teasing and trying to get on them for that. Pastor Scott said, we were dying inside to have just one bottle of Coke. And then he said, when you want Jesus, when you're hungry, when you're thirsty for Jesus, as bad as we wanted one of those Cokes, then you'll have him. Then you'll be satisfied. And see, and here's the thing about this story. I can't make you want it. I can't. I can preach it. I can deliver it as well as I can, which is probably not very well. I can lead you to the water, but I can't make you want it. You either want Jesus. Oh, what a song we sang, Give Me Jesus. You can have this whole world, but just give me Jesus. I'm reminded, Jeremiah 29, 13, and then I'm closing. It says, and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with your whole heart. Maybe there's someone here this morning. Ben, come on up. I thought of this song last night and I thought we got to do it. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. You don't know him. Um, Listen, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon basically says, he basically says, look, I've tried everything under the sun. I've had all the wealth. I have all the power. I've tried everything under the sun. And it's all vanity. 
doesn't matter what I try. Basically, what he was saying is, is I'm still hungry and I'm still thirsty. Maybe this is the day that you can meet and drink from the same living water that the Samaritan woman drank from. Maybe there's something in your heart. You know that it's, you're not satisfied. You go from one thing to the next, one type of fulfillment to the next, and, and there's a little bit of fulfillment, a little bit of joy in that, and then you become hungry again. Only Jesus can satisfy if you take him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe, but again, remember, we're talking about kingdom living. Jesus is talking to kingdom subjects when he said, Blessed are you, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And I just got to be honest, we all, folks, this message isn't just for one, this is for all of us. We need to look at our hearts and say, God, am I hungering for you? Am I thirsting for more of God? More of you? Maybe what we need to do is just uh, ask God this morning, reveal whatever it is in my life that's keeping me from being desperate for you. That's keeping me from being passionate and hungry and thirsty for you, God. That's all I got. That's all I got. But maybe God wants a whole lot more from us. Would you stand, please?